0: This is not a zero-sum game. Uh, support is needed both by the legacy institutions, which have a lot to offer, and clearly by these, these startups, uh, which also have a lot to offer.
1: From the recording studios of Reconstructing Judaism, this is Trending Jewish with Rachel Burgess
2: and Brian Schwartzman. <laughs> I don't
1: know why we do that. Um, you
2: can be Rachel for a while; it's fine.
1: All right, I can I can try it. I, I do I definitely do voices when I read to my read to my kids at night. Although they don't always they don't always like it.
2: They don't always appreciate your your talent and dramatics.
1: Talent is is going a bit. <laughs> bit too far. So um Yep, you can still find us all the same ways iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Castro. I've never used Castro. Have you ever used Castro? I
2: don't. I just use I have an iPhone. We love you Cat Ka-
1: we love you, Castro though. Um and if you like what you hear today or any other day, don't be shy. You can feel free to support our work on trending Jewish and reconstructing Judaism at www.reconstructingjudaism.org slash donate, right?
2: Yeah, you did it. So You are now a fundraiser.
1: That That is. I've crossed over you the, crossed the, the threshold. Rubicon. Or... Yes.
2: So we've got a great episode for you today. And for Brian, this was a blast. This was
1: kind of fun because I got to take my co-host Rachel with me back in time to grad school to meet my old professor. That was kind of fun. I got accused um of 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 having uh late papers, but I I I Yeah, attest they're
2: pretty late by now, right? Fifteen
1: years. I attest I did turn them in. <laughs> <laughs> um but but it was kinda it was fun um and- having a uh, having a chance to revisit Dr. Jack Wertheimer, who who is um Definitely very very vocal out out in in the Jewish press, um, but was was certainly um, a, a mentor to me who kind of helped uh, somebody who who without much more than a bar mitzvah education really understand the modern Jewish landscape. So, I don't know. What do you think?
2: It was. One of the things I think that we we touch on quite a bit in our podcast is basically what is happening in the Jewish world. And if there is a person to talk to about what is happening, um, somebody who really has their finger to the pulse of um, especially the American Jewish life, that is definitely Dr. Wertheimer. and um, and we got to delve into a lot of those, um, topics between emerging communities um, the divides polarization and, and what that does to the Jewish community and he really just took a very in-depth look about what is going on in the Jewish world which is what I'm interested in and one of the reasons why we started doing this podcast, it was really just it was really just a pleasure talking to one of the leading experts in this particular topic. So, um, and his book, which is out now, you can purchase it now. Is the American, the New American Judaism: How Jews Practice Their Religion Today. Um,
1: yeah, that kind of seems like just really in line with the themes of our show, which is why we invited him to come on. So um, I know how much our audience loves just listening to Rachel and I banter, but why not, let's Let's, let's get just to dive it. in. Let's dive in today. So we have got Dr. Jack Wertheimer, my, my former, uh, as I said, my former professor at the Jewish Theological Seminary. He is the author of The New American Judaism, How Jews Practice Their Religion Today. Um, he is a professor of American Jewish history at the Jewish Theological Seminary, and his area of specialization is modern Jewish history, focus on trends in the religious, educational, and organizational sectors of American Jewish life. Um, he is the author of too many books uh, to list here, scholarly articles, studies, and and a lot of pieces in in the popular. Uh, Jewish media, which may be how our audience is most familiar with him. Uh, most recently, he's written a number of studies about the rapidly evolving field of Jewish education, and from 1997 to 2007, Dr. Wertheimer served as the provost of uh, JTS. So, welcome, welcome to Trending Jewish, Dr. Wertheimer. We're we're thrilled to have
0: you here. Thank you. I'm delighted to be with you.
1: So we're here primarily to talk about your probing um really interesting new book the the new american uh the new american Judaism and i want to i want to start by asking you sort of as a historian and 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 you've you've sort of touched on the broad scope of the american jewish community the organized american jewish community i'm really curious why you why or how you came upon the idea to approach the topic that you did, the slice of the American Jewish experience that you did, and and, and, and also the how you you decided to approach it, because it could have been approached a uh, hundred different ways. You could have spent uh, spent a weekend a Shabbat in a different place every weekend. I'm sure your family would have loved that. So,
0: sure.
1: so um, so I guess the the why and how I'm I'm, I'm really interested in.
0: Sure, I'm 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 happy to address that. Um, So, so a good part of it actually uh, comes down to uh, my own personal experience. Uh, I published a book that appeared twenty five years ago called "The People Divided: Judaism in Contemporary America." Um, And as I thought about that book, um, fifteen eighteen years after it appeared, um, I realized that uh, if I were to try to um, uh, revisit that topic. I couldn't just write an epilogue to that book, um, but that an entirely different book needs to be written because the Jewish religious scene looks so different today than it did in the past. Um, And uh, at that point, I thought to myself, well, you know, why not go for it? Um, uh, As to why I'm interested specifically in American Jewish religious life, it has been an interest of mine. I just mentioned uh, an earlier book that I wrote on that topic. Uh, but also uh, from a more, I don't know, substantive side, I would add that uh, an argument that I, I, I make toward the end of the introduction uh, to this book, and that is um, from everything that I know, um, the greatest determinant of the American Jewish future, leaving aside anti-Semitism and the way in which Jews are treated, um, will uh, revolve around their relationship to Jewish religious life. I say that not to denigrate secular Jewish life, for example, um, Jewish culture, Jewish ethnicity. uh, I value them, but from all the indications we have from many years of survey research, for example, uh, what we know is that uh, the connection that people have to Jewish religious life seems to be the sturdiest. Um, It's not a guarantee uh, of Jewish continuity, um, but it, it is indicative of a kind of uh, vitality and uh, strength, sense of connection, and most important of all, something that can be transmitted, not in all cases. So that's why I focused on religion. As to the approach that I took, which was the second uh, question that you posed, um, I had um, my earlier book, A People Divided, uh, focused very much, though not certainly not exclusively, on the various denominations. And I had a chapter. Um, on uh, each of the major denominations, including, I should say, uh, a chapter on Reconstructionism. Um, And uh, uh, what I realized was uh, that in writing that book, I I captured some very important developments, but I also um, missed uh, what I think are much more important, what I'll call subterranean developments, developments that were occurring beneath the surface uh, that really have shaped uh american jewish life much more profoundly than perhaps the pronouncements of this movement or that movement this rabbi or that rabbi the debates between rabbis uh, to what extent do those really affect the day-to-day lives of american jews let alone their religious lives and so i, I became much more interested in trying to capture um uh, how this plays out for in quotation marks the average jew the ordinary jew as opposed to the elites and what they're thinking and what they're saying um now i, I know that uh, i can be challenged and i've challenged myself on this well if that's really what interests you jack then why didn't you interview 500 a thousand two thousand you name the number of american jews and ask them about what their attitudes are about religion how they relate to religion and very simply um there was a question here of feasibility of time that i'd need to invest in takes a lot of time to interview people, let alone hundreds of them. Uh, Also takes a lot of money, would require a lot of travel, potentially. Um, And so I came up with an alternative approach, which is not necessarily the definitive one of interviewing rabbis and significant observers of American Jewish life rabbis across the spectrum. I did speak with reconstructionist rabbis. I spoke with rabbis, orthodox, conservative, reform, non-denominational rabbis as well, um, to hear them report, not so much about what they think their Jews ought to be doing, but rather their sense of what is happening in the lives of of the Jews they encounter, uh, what's important to them, when do they turn to the synagogue, when do they come to the rabbi with questions, um, and their perceptions of how religion, that is, the perceptions of these rabbis and other observers of how religion figures into the lives of ordinary Jews. Um, and I found that uh, the, the people whom I interviewed were remarkably candid with me, I felt. Um, and not, not trying to sugarcoat, uh, not seeing things through rose-colored glasses, um, but rather um, telling things the way they saw it.
2: So one question I had for you, especially going through your book, is it seems like I've heard this part of American Jewish history, the part that we're living in right now, it's not history yet, but this present moment is a very crucial time for the Jewish community. And you bring up different things that... um, Jewish communities are doing where people are gathering for Kabbalat Shabbat services at a burning man uh, gathering or um, you would also mentioned uh, gathering for services during a marathon um, but you also bring up that there are a lot of challenges that are going on in the Jewish community is this a is this a good time for the Jewish community or is or is there a problem that isn't quite being addressed
0: um is it a good time um i think that the preponderance of opinion based upon a lot of research that we have is that uh the american jewish community is going through a um a major transition at best um is that transition going to lead to a new positive phase we don't really know the answer to that yet um But there's been a lot of writing including by me about uh, some of the uh, evidence we have of negative trends of indifference of people um, checking out in one way or another Um, and i in this book i decided that i was much more interested in writing about those jews who are in some way connecting uh, with american uh, with jewish religious life uh, in the united states um, rather than focusing on the data that we have about those who are checking out the so-called nuns uh n-o-n-e-s uh that the pew study refers to uh, for example uh and i'm not suggesting and i don't suggest in the book that these populations don't exist they certainly do they're important they ought to be paid attention to but in this book i was interested in what it is that those jews who are engaged do and what's their level of engagement and of course it varies greatly which is why i tried to cover uh, the spectrum and it varies not only as you pointed out not only in terms of um, What I refer to in the book as more conventional settings for jewish religious expression such as synagogues uh, But also, uh, we find it in a more in unconventional spaces uh, whether those unconventional spaces are chavurot, which have become more conventional uh, uh, given their long history now uh, or whether it's, uh, they, whether it's various types of religious uh, uh, observance, ritual observance in uh, unexpected places, um, bars, for example, pubs, uh, or as you mentioned, the Burning Man, uh, or uh, other sites that we might not expect to find it in. I wanted to try to capture uh, uh, this as well, this, this whole phenomenon as well. Um As to the question of whether we're, whether the Jewish leadership is addressing this the challenges adequately, um, here I, I come out in a different place than do many critics. Uh, I'm not, I'm not uh, bashful about criticism, uh, and I never have been. <clears throat> but what disturbs me is that the focus is uh, tends to be, on what I'll call the uh, supply side as opposed to the demand side. And by what I mean by that is, uh, what is it that synagogues are providing? Are they good enough? Are they um, stimulating enough? Are the rabbis reaching uh, the population? And those are important questions, clearly. But there's another question to be asked, and that is, what is the quality of the Jewishness of, of ordinary Jews, the range of ordinary Jews? their level of knowledge, their level of interest. Uh, their, uh, how accessible are they really? How open are they? And uh, I'm interested in, in, in both of these dimensions. So yes, we have to think about whether uh, Jewish leaders of various sorts, especially rabbinical leaders and cantors and the like, are um, connecting with, uh, with the larger population of Jews. But we also have to ask about how open many Jews are to be connected with, and that complicates the story considerably. I think to really get into it, um, I think we have to
1: understand some of the, some of the trends you identified in, in the book and why, why you think they're, they're significant. It, to, to, to the way I read it, um, you, you, you identified three really interesting trends, which was synagogue revitalization or attempts to revitalize the worship service in in traditional synagogues, Orthodox outreach, and and the emergence of Judaism at, in in unconventional spaces. I think you you listed a term for it that I'm not that I'm not um, recalling. Are those no?
0: What that you, was the term I used? Yes.
1: I mean, are those what you saw as as some of the most interesting um, noteworthy trends, and, and why do you think they're they're different and interesting and, and important for, for sort of the larger questions we're, we're trying to grapple with.
0: Right. So just to take a step back for a moment, um, the book uh, consists of, of three sections. The first section is uh, my attempt to capture the religious lives and experiences of ordinary Jews across the spectrum. Um, what, and what do we know about that? Uh, We have some data about that uh, in in survey form. Uh, We have other kinds of of research that's been done that uh, would indicate uh, where Jews are and what what Judaism means in their lives. Uh, And the second section, in the second section, I focus specifically on the various denominations uh, and um, um, what's been happening in those denominations, less from the perspective of their, their pronouncements about what people ought to be doing, than the challenges that each faces. Uh, none of them is in, in necessarily in terrific shape. At one point, I use a, uh, a metaphor that I came across actually decades ago in an article that referred to the denominations as leaky vessels. Um, they are vessels, they do contain things, uh, but they're springing leaks. Um, in the third section, Uh, uh, I write about the things that you just uh, mentioned, uh, Brian, and that is uh, those areas uh, where we find the most evidence of revitalization at work. Um, And a lot of this clearly stems from the initiative of Jewish leaders, uh, rabbis in particular, uh, who are involved, for example, in rethinking um, the synagogue religious services, along with cantors, or musical directors or whatever they happen to be called people who are involved in, in the musical side of, of, uh, of the prayer service. Uh, and there have been enormous changes. Um, uh, people who still see the synagogue today as, uh, as it was in the 1950s and 1960s are missing the boat. While there may be some synagogues that still are like that, um, the vast majority, especially the more successful ones. Uh, have moved on, and they've gotten much more uh, concerned about what they refer to as the choreography of religious service, uh, about the place of music, about the place of spirituality, of meditation, of connecting with people, of building a community, a religious community within their buildings. Uh, the second section deals with Orthodox outreach, which is a, uh, a phenomenon that has has exploded uh, over the course of the past two decades it started clearly before that started in already in the 50s um but um it has really taken off in the last few decades enormous investment um on the part of uh, orthodox Jews of different types in outreach activities and what I want to stress about that is that while uh, some of these activities are perceived as a, a direct challenge threat competition to uh conventional synagogues um there are many people who belong to those synagogues uh who also go to chabad for example for a class uh or for a particular program uh we're finding that people are not uh confining themselves to boxes you know oh i'm I'm in the reconstructionist box therefore i want nothing to do with any other kind of synagogue or any other place uh i'm a conservative jew and therefore i only will step foot in the conservative synagogue there's less of that that's happening, uh, and for that reason, I see these orthodox outreach activities as nourishing uh, Jews across the spectrum. And the third uh, uh, area that I emphasize uh, has to do, again, with these unconventional spaces, um, and uh, especially uh, innovative rabbis who are going out and trying to meet people where they are and run uh whether they're religious services or study programs in unconventional spaces. They will meet, well, I mentioned pubs before. Uh, they will meet in in a bowling alley, for example, for a high holiday service. Um, they will meet in uh, warehouses, in bookstores, um, in uh, and they will try to meet people and they position themselves, uh, especially in a week like this, the week of Hanukkah, uh, they'll position themselves in supermarkets and try to, talk to people and see whether they can um connect with them in some way um so again I, I realize that a lot of what i've just described is a kind of top-down phenomenon of of leaders who are trying to reach out uh but we also know that they're attracting significant numbers of jews who might not otherwise connect with any aspect of jewish religious life uh, just to give one other example of this one table uh which is uh, offers a free friday night uh, meal, um, So that, that's the, especially designed to attract uh, singles uh, of the millennial generation, younger couples, um, and uh, enable them to have the experience of a, of a Friday night uh, Shabbat meal with some relig- ritual elements included, Kiddush, um, Hamotzi, things of that sort, um, and, and then open a conversation about what being Jewish means to me. I have
1: so many questions on based on what you just said. We'll probably probably run out of time before I before I get to them all. But I'm really I'm really struck. I mean, you had the unique opportunity to speak to Jewish leaders ranging I, I think you spoke to did you I think you spoke to some folks from from the uh Satmar Hasidic sect if if I recall all I the think, way uh, to, yes. to um to Jewish Renewal rabbis, you you know secular. I think there were a few secular humanist rabbis in there. Uh, certainly, Reconstructionist leaders were well represented. Yes. I mean, you you referenced a famous uh, essay from 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 the eighties by by Rabbi Yitz Greenberg. Looking ahead, will 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 Jews be one people in in in, in the year two thousand? I mean, in in the year twenty eighteen, speaking. Speaking to all these different voices, I mean, did you have a, if not a historical take, a visceral gut take? Like, are we, are all these people you, you spoke to involved in, in the same enterprise, or are we really Jewish peoples at, at this point? I know that's a big question, but I'm wondering if, if this provided any insight into that.
0: Right. Well, it, it's certainly no secret that uh, American Jews um, are highly polarized. Uh, no less than American society at large is highly polarized. And um, I did not, in fact, write a good deal um, about politics in this book um, uh, for a variety of reasons, including the fact that the book was basically completed even before the last election um, uh, results were in, let alone some of the developments since then. Uh, But but we know that Jews are polarized about other kinds of issues too. There is some polarization around Israel, for example, and I certainly include that in in my discussion. Um, uh, And but what's conventionally said is that the great divide in American Jewish religious life is between the Orthodox and everybody else. Uh, And there is some truth to that, um, especially because we see a good deal of boundary crossing uh, between the those in the everything else category. And I, I mentioned this just a moment ago that there are people who will uh, a, attend uh, a, a reconstructionist uh, synagogue synagogue uh, or a reform temple or a conservative synagogue and they will also make their way to a chabad on occasion uh, and they'll make their way uh, to some o- other kind of orthodox outreach educational program uh, or they may attend something called sfarah which is a learning uh, talmud learning uh center uh in the chicago area Um, that bills itself as as, uh, presenting uh, Talmudic learning from a queer perspective. Um, And so the point is that they will move in and out and and not limit themselves to one place or another. That doesn't necessarily mean that that we're a terribly divided people um, because those people simply don't want to be placed in a box, but they are connected, which leads me to saying that there is another great divide that we don't really want to acknowledge uh because we don't want to believe it and that is there's a divide between those jews who are involved engaged interested in jewish religious life and beyond that in jewish life in general uh and those who are becoming increasingly indifferent and we don't want to acknowledge that because we don't want to write anybody off uh and if, if anybody promotes this notion of not writing off any jew uh it is Chabad, uh, as an example, um, but certainly uh, that's true of, of, uh, of the other movements uh, who struggle to be inclusive and struggle to be welcoming. Um, but that said, um, uh, and, and as I said before, we don't want to give up on any Jews, but let's also understand that uh, we are living in a time in which there are Jews who are spinning away from Jewish life and don't seem to be interested in, in any aspect of it. And my question is to what extent can they really be attracted back? Um, so that, that's another kind of division that does exist. Um, the, are, we, are we still one people? Uh, that that uh, stems, that, today that, that revolves a lot about, uh, around questions of, of Israel and connection to Israel. And also the sense of connection that these two big blocks that I referred to uh, the non-Orthodox and the Orthodox are prepared to interact with each other. And interestingly, on that note, um, I find that I did, after all, write a book called The People Divided, uh, and I expressed deep concern about that. And it was, I took off from the Yitz Greenberg article that you alluded to, Brian. Um, but in some ways, I find that those lines are, are blurring much more today, in part because Orthodox Jews are far less uh, anxious. Uh, and far more secure, and therefore feel they can interact with much greater confidence with uh non orthodox jews
1: well I guess you mentioned you mentioned the 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 folks that 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 aren't involved um did did your did your research give you any sense of whether all this effort all this innovation is is moving the needle in in any sense
0: that is uh uh, I was going to say the $64,000 question, but I've learned from my students that they don't have a clue as to what that means because <laughs> they never heard of the game show. Um, but it's more than $64,000, obviously, at this point that's involved. Um, and um, I, I do, for, for example, when I, in, in the chapter that I wrote about synagogue uh, renewal efforts, uh, I, uh, I try to capture these various activities and, and the areas in which uh, efforts are being made. But at the end of that chapter, I also note that uh, we've been living now for a good 20, 25 years of synagogue renewal efforts. Um, And the truth is, according to survey research, that the population of Jews who rarely, if ever, step foot into a synagogue is growing uh, despite those renewal efforts. What we are seeing is that there are more Jews uh, who are coming with greater frequency uh, to synagogue. Um, But those Jews who are the least frequent uh, attenders, um, they continue to be the least frequent. And if anything, their proportions are going up. Um, So when you ask about moving the needle, um, I think this is very much a retail enterprise rather than a wholesale enterprise, By which I mean, I'm using business terminology regarding religion, and maybe that's not appropriate. But basically, um, to try to reach people involves building relationships with individuals. Uh, That is a slow process. um, And we don't have evidence yet of a major transformation in the works. Uh, I should just add one little footnote here. And that is, I happened to have been teaching a class uh, yesterday. And one of my students said, "Um, but what about the um, uptick in anti-Semitism in America? Is that going to force Jews to kind of rethink and perhaps throw them back upon their heritage. Um, And uh, at at this point, we really don't know. We certainly know that that in the week after uh, the terrible events in Pittsburgh, there were more uh, Jews who attended synagogue. But I think the drop off occurred two weeks afterwards already.
2: Going back to something that you said a little bit earlier where you were talking about that um, the two groups that were really almost afraid to talk about. But I think in some other research that you've done, um, it seems like philanthropically we're trying to see if we can close that gap between the nuns and the engaged Jews because – we're um, in a previous article I had read of yours from um, the Jewish Review of Books. You're talking about how philanthropic dollars are increasing for more of these um, emerging communities. Um, so are we seeing that question sort of being addressed now? If people are willing to throw, you know, throw support at emerging communities, then um current institutions. And what does that mean for our current institutions?
0: Ah, okay. Okay. So uh, you certainly are correct in noting that um, what I refer to as engagement uh, programs, efforts to engage people, uh, perhaps just episodically every once in a while, uh, people who have no other connection, um, and to try to get them to participate a little bit more frequently uh, those types of programs are receiving funding uh, and uh, are attracting uh, funders who are especially interested in younger Jews. Uh, the, all the hand-wringing, as you know, revolves around the millennials, um, and um, there's a, a, there is investment that's being made there. I alluded to one table as an example. The spread, the phenomenal spread, spread of Moshe houses um, uh, around the world, in fact. Uh, is another expression of that. There are various kinds of programs, Honeymoon Israel and other programs to bring younger Jews, younger couples, married couples, not married couples, uh, to Israel uh, as a kind of birthright experience of their own. So yes, there is investment being made. And and I'm glad you raised this because I didn't uh, want to suggest, uh, and I used the term before, that we're not writing people off. We don't want to write any Jews off um, the question is, to what extent do we accept that there are going to be some populations that don't want to be reached and that makes it much more difficult, uh, clearly. Uh, but, but there is investment going into, into those programs. The other part of your question is one that, that concerns me a great deal. And that is, uh, I, I have done research on funders and I, I've spoken with funders um, and um, their general tendency especially the larger foundations, is to invest in um, the new, the innovative um, initiatives that, that, uh, that are fresh. Uh, and they look, they frown upon uh, the so-called legacy institutions. Uh, believe it or not, uh, uh, the Recon College is a, a legacy institution. Uh, where I teach at JTS, uh, that's a legacy institution, as is the Hebrew Union College uh synagogues are legacy institutions for the most part um and yet um the large majority the overwhelming majority of jews who are involved in jewish life and certainly those who are involved in jewish religious life uh do make their way into synagogues into these legacy institutions and um it's been troubling to me that there isn't an understanding that these this is not a zero sum game that uh, support is needed both by the legacy institutions which have a lot to offer uh and clearly by these uh these startups uh which also have a lot to offer uh but but um these episodic engagement activities um will only work uh or have success in my view if they succeed in drawing people into much more frequent uh engagement much more frequent participation, including eventually drawing them into synagogues of various sorts um, and other settings of, of of study, for example, and and religious experience.
1: So one one thing I was really curious about, rightly or wrongly, I think you, you're sort of seen in, in in the Jewish space as as something of a traditionalist, advocating more of a communal approach than an Individual autonomy approach. You can, you know, certainly feel free to correct that. I, I was wondering if, in in exploring, especially in in the non orthodox settings, in 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 the synagogue revival, in the in the alternative spaces, if you if you'd encountered anything that really felt like, yeah, this really works, or this is really meaningful, or maybe changed or or deepened some of the perspective you have
0: um that certainly has been the case yes um on the most basic level um what uh was striking to me and to be honest with you moving to me um were these conversations uh with rabbis of different types um about the both their sobriety in the way in which they understand the challenges that they face. Uh, and in the face of those challenges, their efforts and their enormous output of, of energy and of thoughtfulness to try to uh, draw people in and think about ways of delivering um, a synagogue service, for example, a religious service, um, of drawing people into the synagogue, um, employing new techniques um, and that, that speak to people. Uh, I found that very moving uh, to hear about um, and uh, gain a lot of respect for rabbis uh, across the spectrum uh, who are engaged um, with heart and soul uh, in, in those types of, of activities. Uh, I don't have a good answer for you about what works and what does not work. Um, uh, clearly, we, we have examples um, of uh, of specific types of programs that have attracted more people. Um, so, for example, the in introduction in the reform movement um, and for that matter in, in the Reconstructionist synagogues and of new forms of music and choreography um, and much more attention to the arts, um, those are attracting more uh, people to come more frequently. As I said before, not necessarily attracting more people uh in total uh but those who attend are more inclined to attend with greater frequency the problem is that uh, there's a limit of, to how often people are prepared to attend and one of the examples i give in the book is um, of speaking with rabbis who uh, talk about their delight in the large turnout for once a month Rosh friday night services um that draws in two, three, four times as many people as on an average Friday night uh, service. So I said to them, I asked them, well, in that case, why don't you do this every other week? Uh, and the answer was because um, people are not going to, they're not prepared to come that often. Um, so does it work? Yes, but it works within limits. Uh, people are, are not prepared to invest that kind of time. And um, uh, that's why I, I do uh, underscore the point about about the importance of frequency. I think we are um, uh, deluding ourselves if we think that um, uh, once a year uh, shot in the arm is going to be sufficient. I have, in fact, written about the so-called two or three day a year Jews and what they uh, seem to be getting out of it. And I've learned that they really are getting something out of that experience. I'm not denying that, and I'm not negating that, but at the same time, if we're talking about building community, building religious community, it can't be based upon these uh, very episodic types of encounters, uh, but we need to people to incorporate Jewish religious life into their daily lives, uh, or certainly weekly lives, with much greater frequency.
2: That's somebody who's studied um, the Jewish experience for so long. And I'm fascinated also by the fact that in your book, you're um, you're talking with so many rabbis. It's really an impressive number of rabbis and spiritual leaders you're speaking to. What has the role of the rabbi, what is the role of the rabbi in the new American Judaism? And how has that changed over the past couple of decades?
0: um so the, um, there was a time in which the role of the rabbi was understood by synagogue boards um, as being a CEO, um, a very kind of business-minded approach. And I'm not sure that that has disappeared. Uh, rabbis are under enormous pressure to keep up membership numbers. Uh, and if membership numbers decline, that means that the rabbi is failing. Uh, that, that's what the perception is. Um, but, um, synagogues and other settings for religious experience, uh, are not business enterprises. And one of the things that I, I rail against in in the book, not too much, but to an extent, uh, is this notion of trying to superimpose on religious life, a business, uh, model, Mm -hmm. um, which I don't think is helpful at all. Um, and I think that the more thoughtful rabbis, and there are many of them out there across the spectrum understand that uh, synagogue is not a business enterprise um to pick up on ron wolfson's locution uh, relationships are very important building relationships are very important uh that's that's true especially going back to your point before brian about individualism in an age of individualism people want to be acknowledged they want to be recognized they want to be known uh, so that that is important but we're also living in an age in which the people uh, have questions. Um, there are people who are seekers or people struggle with issues. Um, and those are are those are not business issues. Uh, those have to do more with trying to find ways of connecting with those who have questions. And I had a fascinating conversation years ago with a Chabad rabbi who's... Uh, ministry if i may use that that terminology uh, uh is to millennials uh post-college students uh, post college young people rather um and what he said to me was uh was quite memorable he said to me um, a lot of young people today have lived very, fairly charmed lives um, they have been privileged um, and they've done very well and it's very hard to reach that population because they don't have questions yet. Uh, But then when they encounter setbacks in their lives, whether it's a a failure at work uh, or a health issue uh, that they themselves encounter or a family member encounters or death in the family or some other uh, disturbing uh, experience, um, they become more open. They, They want to understand. They have questions. And it was fascinating for me to hear how many of the rabbis I interviewed said that when I asked them, what kind of questions do you get? Very few of them said, I get questions about um, uh, uh, how do I um, uh, separate meat and milk? Uh, How do I observe this particular ritual or that ritual? Uh, The most frequent questions they talked about were questions uh, that were posed by people who were in crisis of one sort or another and who are asking very basic kind of existential questions about their mortality, the mortality of a loved one. How do I explain to my children uh, uh, about an illness in the family? Um, And so those are are very different types of of issues than one would encounter in a a business environment. And uh, rabbis, I think, are understanding that they've got to touch. People at that level, and that's also why meditation and healing services are are attracting people, and are, are certainly attracting the attention um, of, uh, of rabbis.
1: That was a perfect segue into what I think is probably going to be our last question. We, we and we, for the record, we did not plan it out in uh, in advance. Um, I'm I'm sensing that a number of religious leaders really feel the need to reframe or articulate strongly why why Jewish community why why Jewish observance why Jewish participation um, were you were you sensing were you sensing that in in your conversations with, with religious leaders and are we going to enter an age where you know the answers are are so variable that, you know, that it may affect our, our ability as Jews to, to cohere as, as one
0: community. Right. Have I encountered uh, the phenomenon you described of rabbis seeing that they need to reframe? uh, They need to answer questions? Very much so. Um, I write, for example, about uh, rabbis who are very um, publicly upfront uh, about their awareness that there are uh, members of their congregations uh, who don't believe in God, uh and they they these rabbis will say, "You have a place here in this synagogue, and I'm eager to speak with you uh not not to persuade you about the existence of God, but rather there are other reasons uh to attend our synagogue. uh There are rabbis uh, who are very upfront about their own doubts um, and when people come to them and say, "You know I have difficulty believing." in the god uh, as pictured in the liturgy or in the god that's portrayed in the bible rabbis will say well you know i have problems with that too and this is how i think about about god uh, as an example and similarly observance um, helping people to relate to ritual practices and see how that can enrich their lives and the lives of their families and especially the lives of their children I think a lot of that is going on again across the spectrum uh as part of this um recognition that we can't just assume that people are going to go to synagogue because that's what they're supposed to do uh there is no supposed to anymore about anything in American life uh and uh there's also recognition of just how busy people are how distracted people are rabbis talk about looking out at, at their convenience and seeing any number of them with their noses and their smartphones during a religious service um so how do you then help that person uh put the smartphone down for a few moments or a half hour an hour to concentrate on what's going on here and that requires figuring out ways of, of touching people and speaking to what they really care about Um, the the, the kind of the the tricky part of that is um, does it then just become a matter of talking to individual needs uh, or can you also talk about community Um, I don't have to remind you that uh, Jewish peoplehood was extremely important to Mordecai Mordecai Kaplan um, and it's it's extremely important to Reconstructionism Um, so how do we um, bridge the needs of the individual with uh the needs of the community and trying to help people connect the community and seeing how being in community is actually enriching my life and that's part of the message that that's being uh delivered um this i think the second part of your question had more to do with with uh you know what works again um and um i i don't know that we're at the point yet where we know uh precisely what works uh but i will say that, um, that uh, synagogues and their, uh, and their counterparts in the non-conventional sectors need to be about religious community and not solely about the needs of the individual.
1: Well, the book is The New American Judaism. Dr. Jack Warthimer, thank you so much for a fascinating in-depth uh, conversation. We, uh, we really enjoyed having you.
0: And as I've enjoyed Thank the conversation, you. a pleasure being with both of you.
2: Thank, Thank you. you so much for being with us. And that was Dr. Jack Wertheimer with his talking to us about his new book, uh, The New American Judaism, How Jews Practice Their Religion Today, out in stores now. So definitely get yourselves a copy. Take a list, take a read. It's it's really, really an insightful book. Um, and you can find out more information about um, dr wertheimer and some other resources you can go onto our website at trending fm and make sure that you leave us a great review on your itunes or overcast or castro or google play so other people can also discover this great and wonderful podcast and if you like our podcast you like what we're doing you like what reconstructing judaism is doing uh, please feel free to support our work um, and you can do that by going to reconstructingjudaismorg slash donate thank you so much for joining us
1: later see you next time
2: hasta la vista
1: baby